House Eternal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 4 episode, The Exercise of Vital Powers. So this is really Garibaldi's episode. This is a very good episode in its own right. Um, and Garibaldi's section of this episode is particularly really good. And it's, uh, it's something I come back to a lot, actually, in my own work. Um, and just for general thoughts about society, but we'll get there in a minute. Let's cover the Franklin and Lita section of this episode, because it'll be rather short. So, uh, Sheridan has not told, uh, told Franklin what his plan for the Shadow Augmented Telepaths are. He just needs Franklin to get them up and running, figure out what's going on with them, see if he can uh, help them, uh, get out of shadow control and potentially on their side for some reason. No one knows why. Franklin sure as hell doesn't know and it's driving him nuts. Um, but you then you have Lita show up and she's able to get a reaction out of them after Franklin's been trying for days for no reaction. And I think this is interesting because they are... Uh, you know, programmed to be uh, to meld with the shadow vessels, basically become the central processing unit of an entire starship. Uh, and the reason the telepaths to begin with is to counteract the Vorlon's advantage in the, uh, the the war, which was the telepathy, and the shadows were vulnerable to it. So it was meant as a countermeasure. Well, if you think about it, the moment they're in the presence of a telepath or someone who's uh, who's influenced by Vorlon or is a Vorlon themselves, it makes sense that they would be hyper-aware. And we see that every time Lita probes him with telepathy, uh, you know, his, his reactions get stronger. And Franklin even points this out. It's like the augment, uh, you know, the devices that are attached to him or accelerating his brain processes uh, so that uh, he can uh, counteract the telepathy. But the, the problem is, is because there is no machine that he's connected to to, uh, to, to use his brain power to help. Basically, all, all that uh, additional brain acceleration is causing him to go a little bit crazy, and it's causing hyperactiveness and... A bit of insanity, and uh, as we see, he attempts to commit suicide the moment he wakes up. He doesn't want to live like this. And Lita stops him with telekinesis, which I think is one of the few times we've finally seen her exhibit that power. Um, we, of course, know that she was changed by the Vorlons in some measure. Uh, obviously, incredibly powerful. Um, and this is really showing just how powerful she is because the rarity of being both a telepath and a telekinetic is incredibly rare. But anyway, the the augmented shadow uh, telepaths, they have, they're essentially in a place where they are not human anymore. Uh, these devices are pre-programmed to basically force their brain to go in acceleration to increase the telepathic powers uh, and it's causing them to develop psychoses and basically being driven insane. Their, their brain is hyperactive. Well, they are essentially a walking time bomb. They are weapons. They, they are 
that's the sad thing is that these this technology is so outside the purview of everybody still around now that the four lines and shadows and the rest of the first ones are just gone that we have no idea how to handle them what to do with them they're just here you know they're weapons of mass destruction laying about and um you know inevitably in a lot of in a lot of various different uh wars throughout history you know a war will cause an increase in technology and that technology will eventually find its way into people who have no idea how to use it do not understand it do not know how to uh properly manufacture it but they're willing to use it um and that that's the that's the issue right here is the shadows the, the, the augmented shadow uh, telepaths are walking time bombs. Like they are, you know, they they, they will cannibalize and in, in, in interface with any electronic system they can find because it's what they're pre-programmed to do. Uh, and they, they are being driven insane by the devices. So there's no way we can help them. And the it, it really shows that, you know... When when Sheridan uh, has that private meeting with Franklin, and we don't we the viewer don't get to see it, um, we don't know what's going on. Uh, we can theorize uh, that obviously in some capacity Sheridan plans on using these uh, shadow augmented telepaths as some sort of weapon, because Franklin. Uh, the the very very much morally upright doctor sees this as important, but understands that in the situation they are in, whatever Sheridan's got planning, they need to do it. Uh, and that that is that's horrifying to him, but he but he understands. And so we're going to be developing that situation for a couple more episodes, and we'll talk about that more then. Uh, but the, their their situation kind of leans into the situation with Garibaldi Eggers and the telepath conundrum. Uh, so let, let, let's talk about the Garibaldi section now. Um, so Garibaldi, uh, you know, went left B five, went to Mars, and he's been, you know, he's been to Mars so many times, you know. Uh, and it's always been like the birthplace of a lot of his problems it's where he broke up with Lise, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's where he, you know, he failed, uh, you know, his best friend and the, the, the child he was a practically an uncle to, um, you know, he, he kept failing over and over and over on Mars and B5 was his start over. And now he's coming back to the place that he screwed everything up again. Uh, and he fears that he's going to screw it up again, <laughs> you know. Uh, and his opening log, personal log, really shows his rampant paranoia. That he is really concerned about the way Sheridan is handling things. Um, and his new employer, you know, Edgar's is only feeding into that paranoia. You know, Edgar's wants a uh, situation in which a uh, Clark can be handled silently, slowly, methodically through the system. Uh, because Clark is this big, obvious, you know, dictator 
uh, who presses the masses and does all these horrible, despicable things, right? Then you have the mega corporations right underneath them who do obviously despicable, horrible things, but they hide it behind a veneer of you need our, you, you know, you need our resources, you need our product, and they actively hide, uh, you know, their their moral duplicity uh, and propagandize through, uh, you know, charitable work. Uh, as such, the mega corporations have essentially been running the whole joint of Earth for a while, and they were fine with Clark, for the most part. You know, Clark is this big, obvious evil, which means that they can probably get away with a lot of things, um, because everybody's going to be paying attention to Clark and not them. The problem is, is that Clark has put too much trust in the Psychor, which means that Clark is now dangerous to their business interests, and therefore is no longer convenient for them. Uh, because they are scared about the Psychor and the, in the potential common conflict between uh, the core and uh, anybody who's not a telepath. And um, it, it kind of shows that th this situation is essentially... Um, you know, they have to take out Sheridan in some capacity because Clark has been, you know, basically been a dictator for, you know, a, a season. So roughly a year, you know, uh, maybe a couple of months more than a year. Uh, and he was already gathering a lot of power back at the end of season one and then end of season two. So it could be arguable that he's been, you know, almost full-blown dictator for, you know, three years now. Um that uh, basically they were able to use him. Um, and But because Sheridan is now a obviously visible enemy to and a threat to Clark's regime, uh, Clark is uh, basically advancing plans that, uh, you know, uh, sort of expedite the problem. Uh, the megacorps want to handle this silently and slowly through the system that they have rigged. And by Clark accelerating the process, there's no way he can, you know, the, the Eggers or the rest of the megacorps can really do that. Uh, so they're in a situation where they need to get rid of Sheridan and then they get rid of Clark. Um, two people on polarizedly different political spectrums, but they're both a threat to the business and the business the profit you know that is their motive that's all they care about and we see that repeatedly with edgar's constantly using thing using people and things as tools uh we, we saw this of course in the uh, previous episodes the way he was treating garibaldi but now we really see it here uh he keeps everybody at a distance uh even his wife and uh he he even hires the telepath to scan Garibaldi uh, when he's interrogating him, but he doesn't do it while he's in the room. He's outside of the room, you know, talking through a microphone. Uh, he's always going to have that distance between him and the person he's using, uh, which is how he's able to get away with using the telepath, which that within of itself demonstrates his philosophy of people and things are tools to be used for the benefit of myself and the quote-unquote greater good. 
because he Garibaldi even calls this out. You know, Garibaldi knows he's expendable, and he knows Edgar's is such a big, important figure in the mega corporation side of things that he could pay off anybody and do anything he wants. You know, he he wanted to get uh, this you know thing a few episodes ago through uh, the quarantine processing through Babylon Five to get it delivered. He could have easily paid off someone, but instead he he brought on Garibaldi to do this work because here's the thing: Garibaldi becomes the fall guy, and Garibaldi notices this is that the only reason why someone this big, this important, this rich, this powerful comes to someone as small and insignificant as Garibaldi is because they need someone that if this blows up in their face, they can point the finger at and say it was all them, it was all their fault. Uh, and that provides an irony with what uh, Edgar says later. But anyway, uh, you, uh, and then of course he uses that telepath and then he kills her. He has Wade kill her. Um, all as it means to an end. And as we see near the end of the episode when he is, you know, uh, inspecting his work which we know is some sort of drug and we see that uh there there's there's a quarantine and that they're potentially contagious um it's safe to assume that there's some sort of disease or virus going on uh with these telepaths that he's experimenting on and uh he orders them to uh, be killed not out of any malice but because he sees them hurting and wants to stop it he has human compassion but it's in a very limited capacity people like him people who are this rich and this powerful uh, and see everything as a tool to be used have this moral duplicity about them this sort of wishy-washy nature in which they believe in human compassion human empathy but they rarely practice what they preach. They believe that for the greater good to exist, some sacrifices must be made, and that if anybody's going to take those sacrifices, it is them. Uh, that puts all the power in their hands. As such, you know, he is doing this for whatever reason. He gets the telepaths because he doesn't trust them. We'll get into that next episode. But he's willing to end their suffering because he sees how much pain. And that's the reason why he keeps everything at a distance. Is because if you humanize a tool, you know, you feel sorry for it. Uh, but if you see it as, you know, nothing but, you know, you look at a screwdriver and you see it as nothing but a means to an end to repair, you know, uh, uh, you know screw a screw or re repair your computer or what have you. It's just a means to an end. But if you start humanizing it, uh, then you you realize that it becomes something more than a screwdriver. Maybe it has some special significance to a family member or it was passed down or something like that. The moment that starts happening, you stop being able to be so detached. And as such, human empathy and human compassion weighs in. So someone like him has to keep a distance in order for their wishy-washy nature to not be compromised. Additionally, uh, that conversation between Lise and Garibaldi, it's a really good scene 
that really demonstrates Garibaldi's uh, and Lise's ultimate big problem uh, that is going to be a significant hurdle for them to get over. Um, Garibaldi uh, is clearly still in love with Lise, as confirmed by the telepath, if it wasn't that blatantly obvious, which is why Edgar's asked the question to begin with. And Lise clearly still cares for Garibaldi a great deal. But here's the thing. Uh... You know, Lise was put in a very desperate, very horrible, you know, situation where her child was taken from her. And that puts her in a very vulnerable situation. And she needed someone there as comfort, as emotional support. Uh, and Edgar's was there. And Garibaldi wasn't. Uh, and, and that's the thing. That's what she that's what she brings up is that every time, you know, they were together, she never knew when Garibaldi was coming home. He was married to the job. She rarely saw him. He was never there for her. He was in a formal capacity there as her partner, but he was not emotionally available to her or physically available to her. Whereas Edgar's was. And that, and that becomes a situation where Garibaldi, you know, has changed a lot since, uh, you know, their time on Mars before the show even began. We saw flashes of way back in Babylon Squared. And um, and that was even her uh, talking the, the, the flashbacks was that, you know, you've only known this Sinclair character how many times and you're going off rushing, you know, to do a job with him. Just, just to make up for past sins, you know, you're never here when I need you, basically. And when she asked the question, you know, would you have been there? You know, would you drop everything and be there for me, emotionally and physically available to me, to assist me in times of great need? Garibaldi's only response is, I don't know. And that's a very human response and the correct response all at the same time. Because someone who is youthful and naive and believes that power, the, the power of love can conquer all would say, yes, absolutely. And of course, they would be lying to themselves because they have fed into this falsehood of what love is and, and the work and dedication and uh, trials and tribulations that is involved with a real honest-to-God partnership and relationship and marriage. And so they may back out of it eventually, which is why, you know, you see divorce rates are so high in the modern day. Uh, and uh, someone who is cynical and beaten down and needs help, you know, their own emo help with their own emotional baggage would say, no, I can't be there. I'm, I'm not I'm not able to right now. But someone who has changed like Garibaldi has uh, overcome a lot of his demons. He's get he's still got some demons. Uh, but he's he's worked through a lot of them, and he's become a better person overall, even if, you know, he is slightly more paranoid than usual um, and slightly more aggressive. He still is a changed man, and for the better. And so he answers with, I don't know. Because in truth, he doesn't know. Because he's in a situation where he is completely lost. All he knows he cares a great deal for her, and he it would hurt him to lose her again. 
Uh, now let's get to the wonderful, wonderful uh, Edgar's and Garibaldi scene, uh, which is where the name of the uh, the name of the episode comes from. The exercise of vital powers. Um, Edgar's gives this really great speech uh, that is really telling. Uh, this was written back in the '90s, but it's really telling to today's time frame as well. You know, it's kind of a universal message, and it, no matter how cynical. Edgar's is with his view on uh, politics and the society, and no matter how morally dubious he is as a person, this one thing he says is absolutely and utterly true. Uh, people are, do not take power. They are uh, given power. You know, we uh, are in a situation where we actively give people powers, whether through its economic means, political means, military means, we, the ordinary citizen, actively choose to give someone power in order, in the belief that they know better. Uh, empower enables. And there's that old adage, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Whether you agree with that or not, it's up for debate. I think it can be a mix. I think there's room for um, nuance there. But power ultimately enables. And if someone is uh, ambitious enough, selfish enough, and determined enough, they can turn that power around to be something horrible. Or if they're selfless enough and determined enough and passionate enough, maybe they could turn into something good. And Clark has decided to choose to do something bad and evil. And everybody sort of went along with it. Very few people stood up to Clark. And the reason being is that, you know, people just want to live their lives. It's, it's apathy, you know. I want the trains to run on time. I want to get to work. I, I just want to live. And so they handed over power to people they thought could let life go on, at, you know, per the status quo to maintain a complacent society. And this turned into a dictatorship. And this has happened again and again and again throughout history over and over and over again. And it's the same story every time. Well, it wasn't me. It was them. Well, who's them? Well, it's the people who are willing to stand aside and let things like this happen. You know, there are very few people, uh, you know, that are members of, you know, hate groups or um, uh, political parties of uh, moral dubiousness. However, there are plenty more people who are willing to stand by the sidelines and let them slowly but surely gain power in order to uh, do as they want and more than willing to let them get away with it. Um, it's a complicated system in which you have to be both attentive uh, and, uh, and non-apathetic, and yet the system is built to slowly but surely build that apathy over time to ensure that the people that want the power are given the power by the people. It's it's a circular system. And I think this really applies nowadays because this is 2021. Um, I live in America. Just think about the very beginning of this year. Uh, what happened in January? Uh, the insurrection on the Capitol. 
here in the USA. Um, think about them for a second. And think about the 2016 election. Um, you know, how people who actively voted for Trump or uh, di didn't care uh, and said, you know, well, I think he may do some good. And then when he incites this rebellion, this insurrection against the Capitol that was, you know, completely illegal, illegal and morally abhorrent, they said, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't him, it, wa it wasn't us, we aren't liable for it. No, it was them, the nebulous them, because that's the thing, when we, us, the real human being, are responsible for something horrible, we look for excuses. It's built within our nature. And so, the nebulous them becomes the target, whoever them is, you know. Uh, and speaking of an us versus them, you know, mentality, we have the telepath situation, the telepath conundrum that I brought up earlier. I've brought this up, I think back in season one, it's been a while. Um, the telepaths here in Babylon 5 are a complicated issue with no real definitive answer that is both morally, ethically correct and... Uh, safe and secure because the telepaths are in a, or can at any point in time scan you and most people won't even know it they can know your deepest darkest secrets and you know and they, they could share that willingly and they can hide anything by telepathically communicating with other telepaths uh, they they are in in a league of their own uh, and, you know, as, as Edgar says, once they take off those badges, those sidecar badges, can you tell a telepath from a normal? No, because they j look just like us. And that's the problem, is that this telepath problem is not analogous to real-life discrimination or racism or prejudice. Um, it, it can be in certain ways, it can be an allegory in some ways, but it, the similarities end at a certain point. Uh, much like the mutants in X-Men, or the mages in Dragon Age, or, you know, many other examples in other fiction, these are people where they have a genuine power to be used to hurt, to uh, cause security problems, to uh, corrupt, to blackmail, to just, you know, erode the social order. This isn't a situation where your skin tone is slightly different or your gender is different. Uh, you know, that is not that is not applicable here because they have a genuine issue that cannot be resolved by just saying, yeah, they can all go free. But it is morally wrong to police them. Um, so there is no right or wrong answer. There, there, there has to be a compromise. And sure as hell, no one knows what, what to do about it. Maybe Edgars has the answer, maybe he doesn't. We do know that he's morally dubious, so I incredibly doubt that he has an answer to it. But he, at least he has tricked himself and bought into his own medicine that he is containing the problem in some capacity or another. And he fears the repercussions of the telepaths if they are given enough control. And we see Garibaldi, who has rightful reason to distrust telepaths, but he was willing to befriend Talia and Lita 
offer Lita, you know, a job, you know, he genuinely likes them. So it shows that while he has a distrust for telepaths, he's willing to get along with them as long as they stay within the boundaries of a certain, you know, way. And one could argue that that, that is problematic, and I would say, sure. But what other reasonable answer do we have here? This, this isn't a situation, like I said, where skin color is different or gender is different. They have a legitimate power that could harm. So you either control them and decrease their free will, or you give them autonomy, and thus at any point in time one of them could turn on you. This is a generally scary proposition no matter which way the pendulum swings. Uh, and as a result, there is no real answer here. I keep bringing this up. I, like I said, I brought that back up in season one. Um, and then, uh, to end out this episode, we really see just how far, uh, you know, Garibaldi has come. You know, he sells out Sheridan. Uh, and that doesn't seem like something Garibaldi would do, and I, you, and you're probably going, well, I, you keep insisting that it's still Garibaldi, just slightly changed. Yeah, but think about how rampant paranoia he was at the very beginning of this episode. It's clear that aspects of his personality are on overdrive, and we'll get into this next episode about why, what's going on. We know that he's being controlled by some sort of outside force, investors involved, so, um, you know, let your imagination run wild if you don't already know, because, you know, you know Edgar's is concerned with telepaths, and we know that the Psychor is behind whatever's going on with Garibaldi, and Garibaldi is suddenly working with Edgar's. Uh, but I like his little uh, log at the end. It, it, you know, it provides a nice little cap on the end of the episode by opening with a log and ending with a log. And, and they both have a very cynical tone to them. Garibaldi's always been a cynical person. You know, his general outlook of everybody lies, which comes up again in this episode. But, you know, he talks about that he's he's lost. He, uh, you know, he's unforsure and he knows he's damned. He knows what he's doing is wrong. But he feels like he has to do it and he doesn't know what else to do. And all he cares about is Elise. He doesn't care if he has to suffer the consequences of this action. He just wants lease. Uh, and so with that note, I leave you out on that. It's going to get very, very dark from here on out. And until then, see you next time. Bye. Bye.